0: While I get set up, uh, go to the person next to you, tell them, share with them what you think makes life most worthwhile. If you're here with a wife, answer wisely. So what do you think makes life most most worthwhile? (laughs) Typically when that question's asked, or typically when that question's answered, people come up with a relational answer. Quora did a survey of what makes life worthwhile, here are some of the answers. Visiting odd places I remember from my childhood. Spending quality time with family and friends. The greatest pleasure is that moment when our body transmits from conscious state to sleep state. As a young man realizing that a girl I like, likes me too. That's a lame one. Uh, anyway, here's a, the love of a dog. Dog owners, you'll know exactly about that one. The greatest pleasure in life is doing what people cannot Uh, say you cannot do, Uh, eating freshly baked bread with cool butter, the smell of grass and trees after a rainstorm, struggling to learn something, and having everything finally click at 2 a.m. just before you drift off to sleep, meeting your children for the first time, and to be able to prove your critics wrong when you're doing something you love. Whatever we find worthwhile, It's a myriad of answers. Whatever we find worthwhile really impacts how we behave. Whatever we find worthwhile really impacts actually what we believe. And behind what we believe is our own worldview. There's a whole load of worldviews out there. But typically what makes life most worthwhile impacts what we believe and is a cause of our worldview. The worldview is... The deep down answer, whether you've said it or not, what you believe the point of life is. So lots of us, I know before I came to Christ, I thought the point of life was to have pleasure and to pursue pleasure and not get caught. Uh, I don't think I'd ever said that, but that motivated so many of my behaviors. Here are some of the different worldviews out there. Uh, There's a religious worldview, and it says the point of life is to be tested and return triumphant to an eternal reward. The evolutionary answer, to survive long enough to reproduce with a choice specimen or specimens, I see what they're doing there, and to ensure the propagation and advancement of the species. The selfless answer is to help others as much as possible. The purely capitalistic answer is to amass and generate as much wealth as you can. The hedonistic answer, that's probably my worldview, to have a pleasurable time the singularitarian answer to help advance technology to the point of exponential awesomeness nationalistic answer to help your country be its full potential the vainglorious answer to achieve historic cultural immortality through writings conquests or deeds the absurdism answer there is no ultimate meaning we make life on our own? And then the English answer, to be polite and grammatically correct. (laughs) Uh, Understanding what's behind our view of the point of life, understanding what our world view is, uh, gives us a really good insight into our identity. gives a really good insight into who we are. Uh, It changes how we live, and it changes how we do community. Now, as a church, we are in a teaching series titled Blueprint. Blueprint would be an engineering diagram of how to make a certain thing. It's essential before you build something. And we're at a relaunch stage of our church. We're kind of chapter three now. And we're seeing, okay, who are we as a church? What are we made up of? What's our name? Uh, We've changed our name, in case you didn't know, to Antioch Church. We used to be Antioch Community Church Wheaton. We're now Antioch Church. Uh, Conversationally, we're just Antioch, so welcome to Antioch. On a sign, we'll just drop the community bit. The Wheaton, we've moved that element because uh, it felt it was limiting on our viewpoint of just where we've been called on to mission. You are on mission wherever you live. We're on mission wherever we go to school, wherever we work where we do our recreational time we're constantly on mission and chances are that's in all of greater chicagoland and so our mission field is the whole of greater chicagoland that's not as catch as chicago so uh, within the movement if people are referring to us we're part of a church planting movement 30-odd churches in the states they're referring to us they used to say antioch wheaton they'll now say antioch chicago so that's our name Last week we spoke about mission. We had Drew Stedman, our executive pastor from uh, the movement in Waco coming up and visiting us and he spoke specifically that our very identity is based on mission and that we add life onto that. We don't think what we want to get out of life and see if mission will fit on. And so he shared from 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter five, about the ministry of reconciliation which we've been given. How we're to be ambassadors of Christ wherever we are Uh, and today we're going to be talking about the vision so a mission is what are you aiming for and as we're being ambassadors of christ as we're bringing god's kingdom wherever we are it's almost like saying uh, in wheaton as it is in heaven in chicago as it is in heaven the the root cause of that is we want to change the world Uh, we expect great things from god and we will attempt great things from God. We are not the only church, but we are one of the strings of a harp where God plays his beautiful gospel melody to draw people into that love relationship with him. And so we are um, going to aim for changing the world, one person at a time, and in our exact sphere of influence. And we are going to do that through loving God and loving people. Now, when I read out the religious answer to the worldview, that's not actually the Christian answer. As you may well be aware, Christianity is not a religion. I thought it was before I became a Christian. I thought it's what we do to strive and earn our way to God. Christianity is a relationship. And so we're going to see when Jesus was asked, like, what is the point of everything? What he said. Uh, Before I do that, I'm going to pray. Jamie, while I'm praying, you want to come up? Ready to read? Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you that you have loved us. You've called us into relationship with you. And you have shared your mission with us. To change the world, to bring heaven here on earth. Lord, to be a reflection of what is to come. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. The context of the text. The text is going to be Matthew... Hang on, Jamie. Matthew... 22 verses 36 to 30, uh, 40. Now, Jesus has been teaching, and uh, in Jerusalem, the religious rulers don't like the fact that everyone is listening to what Jesus is teaching, and he seems to be teaching with a greater insight. And so, their desire is to trip him up. So, Pharisees have already said to him, Okay, do we give taxes uh, to Caesar or not? And Jesus answers them really wisely. Then the Sadducees, who don't believe in the resurrection, uh, ask him a question about the resurrection. And again, Jesus asks really wisely. The Pharisees, a third time, specifically one of their scribes, like a lawyer, a a really good understanding of the law, really wants to catch Jesus out. He's been showing them up. And so this is where we'll pick up with the text. Uh, Do you want to turn the microphone on, Jamie? There we go. Can you see it? Yeah, nice and loud. This is Jamie. Teacher. Teacher which is the that's it. I think it is. Try again. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All... The law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, it wasn't working because my microphone was on. i you going to try one more time. Yeah. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. James, just a top tip. Don't speak to your sisters in the microphone, okay? When you go downstairs, it will come here. Just a quick look into that text. When Jesus answers this, he's been asked about the law. Essentially, he's being asked, like, what's the point of life? And he answers with the great commandment. He's saying, uh, we're to love God with a whole body. Now, the Pharisees were experts at the law. They knew that there were 612 commandments in the Old Testament. Then, in order to keep those 612, they formed the oral law around it, around 300 or so other commandments, like ring-fencing things. So, if you wanted to uh, avoid going on inappropriate websites, for example, you might put a block on your phone. So the Pharisees had created all of these kind of blocks and filters around God's law. They knew a ton about them. They were all about rules. Oh. And on the first day, uh, they were all... I'll suck my breath in now. There we go. Uh, They were all about rules uh, to the extent that they forgot about people. And as they were looking at the 612 commandments they would waive different ones as worse than other. Like this is a really heavy one. Don't commit murder. Uh, This one, don't covet uh, your neighbor's ox, might be a little bit less than that. They try to put a scale on it. What they were doing was seeing is Jesus gonna affirm what we've come to our own conclusion of about different laws and which ones are more valuable than others. And Jesus hits them with the one that talks about motivation. Jesus answers them with the one that if you keep, you will have to keep every other one. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Loving God with your whole body. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart in that time in the ancient Ares was a way of describing what is the object of your affection. It's almost like you have an arrow pointing out of your chest. And whatever you most value, it points at. Some of us, it might be family. It might be a spouse. It might be children. Some of us, it might be career. If we're at college, it might be the course that we're on. Some of us, it might be making money. Some of us, it might be politics. Jesus is saying, have the center point of your life, the highest ambition. Another way he says it seek first the kingdom of God. He's saying, have the object of your affections, all of them, be around loving God. Other ones are good, but they always fall behind loving God. He then says, love the Lord your God with all your soul. Soul here means the deep essence of our identity. What really is intimate about us, what people know us really, really well know about us. So if we're married... Uh, Before we get married, something really wise called pre-marriage discipleship. The aim of pre-marriage discipleship is that you find out a lot more about each other, what they value about certain things, so that when you say, I do, you're saying it with your eyes open. Over the course of marriage, you find out more and more and more and more about your spouse as each of you change and evolve. That's like you become more and more aware of each other's souls. Now, it's really dumb the front end with someone a whole load of stuff about yourself. Like people aren't entirely trustworthy you'll really freak them out so you're not necessarily when you meet someone go and here's me at my very essence. Uh, but God is entirely trustworthy. So when we're saying love God with all your soul it means like don't hold anything back from him. It's that thing that you haven't quite forgiven yourself for don't hold that back from him. That illness that you think he's never gonna heal still offer it to him. So we're not to hold anything back from God. We're to love him with our very much inner identity and our intimacy. And finally, love the Lord your God with all your mind means uh, don't check out intellectually. Uh, America's really unusual where a hundred years ago, biology and geology advancements started saying there is not a young universe. People had a very literal view of the Bible. Uh, They didn't always understand that you don't need a young universe for the Bible to be true. Now, you can be a a Bible-believing Christian and hold a whole host of different views. But one of them might be if God maybe didn't make the earth in seven days, solar days, if he doesn't create the sun and the moon until day four. Does that make sense? So what we found uh, is you don't necessarily need to say, okay, we have faith or we have science. Like you can't trust biology and geology and be a Christian. So there has been a paradox in the Christian faith where people are very nervous about understanding truth. Now God is absolute truth, but we can't understand absolute truth absolutely. But I want to speak against the thought of you check your brain out the window when you become a Christian. Uh, It's saying love God intellectually. It means pursue Him, understand all there is about Him. Now there are times when our emotions are very, very strong and we can feel that God is close. We are aware of His presence. But there are equally times when God is equally real where we cannot feel Him at all. So at different points, I've suffered from depression in my life. If I base God's reality and my love of Him on whether I'm aware of Him or I feel Him, it's totally unstable. So Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God with your whole person. Love him with your intellect as well as with your emotions. Have a balance with them. He was also answering them out of Deuteronomy 6.5. Deuteronomy 6.5 was this great commandment. Devout Jews would recite it once in the morning and once at night time. It was to give God honor at the start of the day, to give God honor at the end of the day. And so as they trying to catch Jesus out, he's saying, well, if you were really devout, like if you really knew God, you'd already know this answer. So he shares that with them. It represents a total devotion to God and his commandments. The second one is the golden rule. Like the Christian faith is not rocket science. Now, when I first came to faith, I suddenly realized I had to read a library of books that were given to me to become a better Christian the reality is yes it's helpful to understand different things but it's kind of as simple as receiving love from God loving him in return and then loving others like ourselves and so we have the golden rule which Jesus is uh, quoting from Leviticus 19 verses 18 to 34 Leviticus was a distinct set of rules to set God's people apart most of them uh, were, uh, Cultural laws, like this is how, if you follow these about cleanliness and a whole host of other things, this is how you're going to look really, really different from all of the cultures around you. And yet, this commandment specifically means in this context, but love God's people and love Gentiles as you'd love God's people. So though uh, God's people to a look distinct, they were equally not to shut off their love of other people. Does that make sense? So even when uh, it's Old Testament law, and it seems exclusive and selective, at the heart of it is a loving of others, a loving of the world. So we're to love God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind, and we're to love our neighbor as ourself. This is Gives a really simple question, how to love God. Uh, this, I've got probably 15, 20 minutes left for this message, maybe 10, depending how many people doze off. Uh, how do you eat an elephant is probably another way of saying this. Like how do we love God? The simple answer I have, one day at a time, the rest of our existence. We love God one day at a time, for the rest of our existence. We love God because he first loved us. That's how he loves us, and then we respond to him. Another way of saying it is, you cannot actively create life if you're dead. You have to have life before you're able to create life. So it is with love. We have to really receive God's love before we can share God's love back to him and back to the world. One of the objections of loving God and loving him with all your heart, particularly if a couple, one of the couple uh, joins the Christian faith, decides to surrender their life to Jesus. The Bible would teach that the object of your affections now needs to be Christ. The spouse might be thinking, really? Like, so we made this commitment to each other, and you're saying that I can't love my spouse? like I used to? I have to love God in that way? It's a really valid question. The reality though is, if we love God with all of our hearts, we are freed up to love people even more. Think of the person that may dearly love their spouse or the sibling that dearly loved their brother or sister. When they become a Christ follower and they love God with all their heart, they are freed up to love their significant other in deeply more meaningful ways. When Jesus was speaking against the Pharisees in this example, they were all about externals. If your whole life is based on rule, and how many rules there are, and how to keep them, and how to interpret them, you pretty much forget about relationship. So for the Pharisees, it was the love of rule. Jesus and Christianity is meant to be the rule of love. So not the love of rule, not this legalistic attempt to get up to God, but uh, the rule of love. Love is meant to define who we are at our very essence. And so as Christians, if we are Christ-following, and I learned in America you have to say Christ-follower, not Christian, um, In England, if you say Christian, it means you're a legit Christian because they're considered weird and you wouldn't say you were one unless you were one. In the States, I believe, most people say they're Christian, but they don't follow Christ. So if you're a Christ follower, uh, the inner motivation, we're not trying to earn salvation anymore. We're not trying to earn God's uh, uh, salvation from God. We're not trying to get salvation from God by serving other people. There's a genuine freeness to love God. There's a genuine freeness to love others. And it shouldn't matter what we look like on the outside. I don't know if you've heard of the phrase like, uh, be holy because God is holy. Within the church that can sometimes mean, see no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil. Therefore you won't be evil. So stay away from the world. The only disadvantage with that is Jesus says be in the world but not of the world. And so being holy is being set apart, but it's also going out into the world, looking different from the world, but going out there and making a difference in people's lives regardless of what religious people may or may not think. So loving God with all our heart means that we love him in the good times and the bad times. We love him in sickness and in health. We love him when he feels very close, and we love him when he feels completely distant. I'm not going to leave you completely uh, ill-equipped to how to love God, so I'm going to reference you to a resource. Let's pop it up on the screen. We have a discipleship app as part of the Antioch movement. It is the one that I've circled in yellow. Ka-ching! In that discipleship app, Please, if this is your church home, download this. It's really going to help you uh, develop a relationship with God. Now, it's not to take the love out of the relationship. So a husband and a wife can really love each other, or someone that you're dating you can really love. But it's helpful to have some principles in place so you don't forget. The strange thing is once you get married, you have to schedule dates. You have to remember to serve each other. You have to remember not to be selfish. So it's really helpful to have all of these principles in place, not because they are the relationship themselves, but to have the fullness of love. This is similar. We've got a discipleship app. Click into that app. You will get to these three things. Uh, The first one, uh, I'm going to have to read it out for you. Here we go. Learn about God. So if you're a spiritual seeker, you can click on that app. It will give you a whole load of information. If you're a new believer... And you want to know how to grow in your newfound faith, that's the second one. The third one down is the one I'm going to be looking at today, or just referencing. It says kingdom values. So if we're bringing heaven here, where we're around, God's kingdom should be following us. We're giving a witness to it, whether we like it or not, 24 uh, 7. Kingdom values within there. Let's go to the next one. You click on it up, love God, in, love people, out, change the world. Within the up one, let's go in there, there's a whole load of questions. Uh, I'm going to read some of them out to you. But this is for you to do, whether in a life group on your own, or I'm working through this in a discipleship relationship now. Uh, How Different ways of loving God. We love God through daily devotion. If you click in that, there's a whole load of scripture uh, studies you can do. We love God by connecting to the truth of his word by being filled with the power of His Holy Spirit, by choosing obedience even when it hurts, by walking in holiness, by persevering in prayer, by honoring Him with our finances, by embracing brokenness. There's lots of different things that you can build up our ability, different principles to help us love God more. But they are not love in itself. They are bringing you into God's presence so you can experience His love and share His love. Uh, Because of time, Kelsey, I'm going to skip through the obedience slide. The next one is how we love others. Loving God increases our ability to love others. Uh, It's the golden rule. So what we're doing is we're thinking, if I was that person, what would I like done to me in this situation? And then we do it. Religion up until this point up until uh, the rule in Leviticus, it always had a negative connotation. It was, don't do this. Don't do, do not untether your neighbor's goat. Lest he untethers your goat. Uh, this is kind of saying, feed your neighbor's goat, because you'd kind of want him to feed yours. It's, a very, it's the first time in all of the different religions that there were, in the different culture systems, that this rule was stated positively. It's always been negatively, but with God, with love, there's this outflow. So as we're loving other people, we are to take the initiative. We think of what we would like in their shoes, and then we do it. Straight back into the app again, Kelsey. Again, this is just a reference point, so forgive me for shooting over it. Uh, In Kingdom Values, the up is love God, and then we have the in, which is love people. I'm going to read out just some of those ones there. Again, if you just do the app by yourself, for the rest of your life, you're not actually loving anyone. Uh, but these are tools to help you. Uh, we love others by establishing family as our priority. So we're not, uh, loving God with all our hearts does not mean loving your family is bad. It means you really wanna love your family, love God with all your heart. Uh, we love others by honoring them in person and behind their backs, as in don't lie, don't flatter, don't gossip. We love others by choosing humility. That means we are here to serve people, not to be served. We love others by committing to a relational culture. Uh, We love others by living authentic lives. We love others by always being forgiving. We love others by keeping a teachable heart. That is my application for today. Uh, Go to the app. Now, uh, one of the objections is can I not love others can I have the lights on now, just so I can see people? Thank you. Ah. I was worried it was going to be an empty room. <laughs> ah. uh, we, the objection is that like, you're saying I can't be a Christian to really love people. Like, that's kind of nonsense. Like, I don't need to be a Christian to love my children. I don't need to be a Christian to be a loving husband. I don't need to be a Christian to be a good friend. Yes. Largely that is correct. But you can't fully love people as God intended you to unless we're first fully loving Him. I'll give you an example. I had relationships before I became a Christian. So I came to faith at 26. I thought in those relationships, it felt good, it felt like I was being loving. I then looked back on them having come to faith and thought, wow, that actually wasn't pleasing to God at all. What I thought was loving, was, in fact, really unhelpful to that person. Same way if you're an addict, and I was one. You share, you show love for people, and this sounds really dumb, but at the time, it makes sense. You get them drugs cheaply. Like, I love you, so I'm going to give you a good deal. That sounds utterly insane, but when you're in the moment, that's how you love people. And you're thinking, well, I'm being loving. Probably not entirely and the same point uh, we cannot really love people unless we're introducing them to the love of God. So God is this eternal loving union of three and we have two representatives. We have Adam who represents us and he said no thank you, turned his back on God and sometimes people will say to me well if I was Adam I don't think I'd have eaten that fruit. I say, well, have you ever blamed your wife for something? As a kid, did you ever point the finger at someone else? Yes. Then you're adult. But through Jesus, God gives us that alternative representative, which is Christ, who has perfectly fulfilled all of God's law, took the punishment all our sins deserved. And so through him, we can be in a relationship with God. And it's not just a kind of a... A good relationship for the here or now—it's an eternal relationship. So think of the people that you most love. Uh, if it's—I've got a dog um, I adore. His name is Rascal or Rascal. At some point, he is going to die. Don't tell my children that. Uh, I am going to miss this big piece of affection when he goes. Every relationship that we really value at some end, at some place, ends relationship with God is eternal. It never ends. It's the best foundation for every other relationship. I love my kids. I want to spend eternity with them. Now, if I wasn't a Christian and I didn't know the gospel and I hadn't shared it with my kids, I wouldn't be loving them to the full extent that God had for me to love them. And as much as I enjoyed and savored the relationship in the here and now, I would not be able to savour it eternally. So we can show love without being a Christian. But it's not an eternal love. It's not an eternal hope that we're sharing. So we have the golden rule, do to others as you'd want uh, them do to you. Yes, we can kind of love others without loving God first, but when it comes down to it, true love looks like sharing the gospel. True love looks like encouraging people within the gospel. The bad news of everything I've just shared is it's almost impossible to love God with everything. It's almost impossible to love others like ourselves. We can get it wrong every single day. The good news of the gospel is we don't have to do it perfectly. The good news of the gospel is Jesus did it perfectly. And so when we fall short, he loved God with everything. He's been loving God since the beginning of time. And when we fall short of loving others, Christ loved others perfectly. He died for each one of us. And I don't know what your life was like before you met him. Mine was not good. I would try and show off to my friends by cursing God out, saying, look, he's not real. And yet he still died for me. Even knowing I would do that, he still offered me the gospel. And so there are times when we were not perfectly of others. But Christ has been perfect in our behalf, but that doesn't mean we stop trying. Does that make sense? We're never going to be perfect. Great, you don't need to be. But please, for the love of God and for the love of others, try and reflect God's love back to him. And try and love others as you'd want to be loved ourselves. As we think of all the things that we find worthwhile in life, as we think of the point of life, it's that relationship with God. The things that we find worthwhile, unless they are uh, getting great pleasure from doing things people tell you you can't do. I took that as rebellion, not so much not believing in someone. We won't be able to be rebellious for all eternity, but all of the things that give, make life worthwhile, they become technicolor in a relationship with God. I knew life was precious before, when I had friends die. I really know how precious life is now. I enjoyed relationships before. I really enjoy relationships now, knowing that I'm fully forgiven, knowing that even if I'm afraid of hurting someone, that God can smooth over that, that there is forgiveness. I'm going to do a prayer of examine now. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. So as a church, we want to change the world. We do that by loving God, and we do that by loving others. I'm going to do three prayers. First prayer, I'll pray out and see God, where, where is the arrow of my heart pointing? I'm going to ask him to draw something into your head. I'm then going to pray, God, where have I been falling short of loving you? What am I holding back? What is it that I don't trust you with? What is it that I think your forgiveness is not enough for? What area of my life have I not experienced healing or love? What area of my life do I think you don't care about? And then offering it to him. And the third one I do probe examine is where have I not loved others? And whatever you get in your head, that's likely to be God prompting you this is how you can love others better. So, will you bow your heads as I lead us in this prayer of example? Father God, you fully love us. You perfectly have represented how we can love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind through Jesus. Lord, reveal to us now in the stillness of our voices the picture in our minds of where the arrow of our heart is pointing. And Lord, forgive us. It's so easy to be distracted. Father, help us know. Reveal to us now where we are holding back from our love of you. What are we keeping in our back pockets? What are we hiding from you? Reveal it now. And Father, take, take all of us. We want to be in relationship with you. You didn't hold back from us. Help us not to hold back from you. Father, reveal to us now, either in a stealthful voice in our heads or a picture in our minds, where have we fallen short of others? Who do you want us to love more? Reveal that now. Father, help us to seek reconciliation. Help us to say to people, I haven't loved you as I would want to be loved myself. Will you forgive me? Help us to turn to you. Spending time with you in your word. Spending time with you in prayer. Asking to be filled by you as Holy Spirit. Sharing your gospel with others. Lord, we need you. Help us to want you with everything that we have. So talk about loving you, Lord. Make it move from duty to delight. Make it move from the external rules to the inner relationship. And we can pray this to you, cause of Jesus.